0: You may not often associate with soccer, but you will soon come to find out he is probably one of the premier soccer authorities we have at least on this show. A familiar name that we haven't seen as much of over the last year. I'm talking about Charles F. Gardner, formerly of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Charles, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Justin. Thanks for having me on.
0: So, let's uh let's start with retirement. First of all, what's retirement been like and w- if there were two things, what's the one thing you don't miss that maybe you thought you would? And what's the thing that you do miss that maybe you didn't think you would?
1: Well, I do miss some of the travel, believe it or not, as you know, I traveled probably the most of anybody on that NBA beat. You, uh, you are going all over the country. And, uh, so you get used to that a little bit, but that, that's one that I'm glad I don't do it anymore, but I miss it a little bit. Right. <laughs> and, uh, my wife Pat always complained that it would snow about twelve inches every time I went to L.A. or Miami. So any of the warm weather cities, it snow. Yeah, so I, I think she was glad that I actually uh, did some shoveling duties, and then uh, so that uh, got back and did a few shoveling uh, chores that I hadn't done before. And uh, I don't know as far as uh, what what I thought I I wouldn't miss. Uh, yeah, uh, or or I that I I wouldn't miss. I don't know. Maybe all the bad food on on the uh, you know at some of the places on the road. What I don't miss is that twelve o'clock uh, meal, like midnight when there's nothing nothing left, right? You know, nothing left. Nobody's open,
0: and uh, you're hungry. You have, <laughs> having to go to McDonald's and uh, uh, beat your deadline. Yeah.
1: You're right. You know, deadline's over, but everybody else is closed now and you still, you know, that, but hey, that's part of the road. It, it was a great job. I, I don't want to complain. It was a great, I had a great, great time doing it.
0: Well, I, and I know you've, you're still occasionally doing some stuff and certainly people uh, noticed that during the Bucks playoff series with the Celtics, but uh, what's, what's retirement been like? Is that just few and far between or just wide open?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm doing a little uh, few thing freelance things here and there now, and that's kind of fun. I got to cover the uh, home playoff games for the Boston Globe, which was which was a lot of fun. And I really hadn't covered the Bucks at all during the year, so uh, now I'm doing a few little Brewers games for Associated Press. So I'm just trying to keep busy. The World Cup's coming. We're going to talk. You know, I'm always interested in that. And uh, we're we're trying to get uh, a little bit, a few things off the ground that uh, that we're working with uh, some things in Madison, and we're just uh, trying to promote. And of course, uh, the U.S. now will be the host in 2026, so we so we got an eight-year run-up. Right, we got time to to get ready.
0: So, I, so let's let's jump right into it then, because I know when we were talking before this started, you said, if there's anything I can spend a lot of time talking about, it's soccer. So I, I mentioned that, you know, you say Charles Gardner and people just think basketball, but this has been one of your passions and loves for quite a while. I'm just curious how you were drawn to soccer and when this fandom began.
1: Well, I think it was an opportunity when I worked at the Milwaukee Sentinel before the merger, to cover some soccer the wave was in town the milwaukee rampage and uh you know i saw a vehicle there of course uh as many parents in the in the states my kids played soccer so that piqued my interest but i also uh became really involved with the game covering it a little bit for the sentinel and of course those were in the early days and uh there wasn't so much soccer coverage out there. So it it really was kind of a a passion. And, uh, you know, now you see how soccer has become so popular in the States. And uh, you, you look out at Portland, Seattle, some cities like that, and really all around the country. And it, it's, it's kind of gratifying to those, for those of us who, who worked in the early days when, when it wasn't as popular, but, it always thought so many kids were playing the game this generation's now come through the generation that played the game and uh it's you just knew that it was going to catch on in the u.s uh, as well as it has around the world
0: so i want to get to that in just a second in, in the generational thing and maybe it maybe delayed but starting to catch up a bit but in terms of your rooting interests, are you an MLS guy? Do you watch Premier League? Is there a team that you have your allegiances with?
1: Well definitely we're we're Barça fans. we're Barcelona fans. we're proud of that. so I've uh, been to the Camp Nou and, and seen them play. We're Messi fans and so of course this uh, uh, you know we have some connections in Spain. My daughter uh, is over there right now, and the little village that she always goes to in the summer uh they're all Real Madrid fans. You know, <laughs> so uh, so then there's great, it's great to have those rivalries just uh, like we had Cubs Brewers today. You know, same same thing, Real Madrid and Barcelona. But we're definitely uh, Barca fans. In the Premiership, I, I'm not a big Premiership fan, uh, but certainly watch some of that in MLS. I covered the Chicago Fire when Bob Bradley was the coach there. And uh, you know, I'll try to keep up with MLS a little bit. I really don't have a rooting interest there, but uh, I, I guess you know I have the package to watch all the Barca games, so a, I must be a fan, right? <laughs> uh,
0: I know a, a couple of years ago when um, Kendall Marshall was on the team, you had uh, Kendall Marshall and John Henson and Chris Middleton will always play FIFA together in the in the Bucks locker room. Did you get in yeah. on any of those games? Yes.
1: I didn't, but, uh, you know, and when they played in London a few years ago, you might remember Justin, then they had a tour, uh, at Chelsea and, uh, John Hansen was a big Chelsea fan and they gave him a Jersey and I got to tag along on that tour. So that was, that was very neat, you know, to be able to go and see the stadium in London. They gave the team a tour and they got to walk down on the field and, and all of that. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely uh fun. And I'll i watch the premiership on a Saturday morning too, you know. The coverage now is is wall to wall, you know, NBC, NBC Sports Network. So and now you're gonna see that uh with the World Cup. We've really seen that for the last few World Cups. Now switching over from ESPN to Fox Sports for this World Cup. So that'll that will be interesting. Uh but they you're gonna have a lot of the games on all their networks, so uh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a little different than maybe the way ESPN covered it. But again, no U.S. team. So uh, that takes a little bit of the shine off the tournament. But I think everybody finds a team that they root for. And uh, I guess a funny story, Justin, uh, last September, we went to Iceland uh, with my family. And we went to the Iceland-Ukraine. It was a World Cup qualifier. And what a fantastic atmosphere! You know what a fantastic uh, event, and uh, just to hear the Viking clap, which you'll hear during the World Cup, and of course everybody's cheering for Iceland, the smallest country ever to qualify for the World Cup, coached by a dentist, you know, so <laughs> who used to coach the youth soccer team on a on a on an island near Reykjavik. Now you can't make a better story up than that, can you? So
0: no, and uh, you, know, you <laughs> mentioned to everybody. Finds a team to root for during the World Cup, whether even if USA is in or not, we would all Americans root for Team USA. But you find these storylines, too. And that certainly extends to players. I mean, I'm not a soccer expert, but most of my memories are from that World Cup and watching the characters that really stood out. Guys like uh, Carlos Valderrama. And that's where you came to know some of these really international stars. So I'd imagine that's going to be a big part of it starting this week, too.
1: No, no doubt. You'll have uh, Cristiano Ronaldo playing for Portugal. You'll have Messi playing for Argentina, and of course, Argentina has always struggled to on this stage to really fulfill their promise. I think one of the teams I watched the other day, Brazil, and of course, everyone knows how they were just embarrassed at home in the last World Cup, losing to Germany seven to one in maybe one of the most stunning results ever. Right. And uh, I watched them the other day and they look very good. Now they're playing over in Russia. How will that translate or will that affect them at all? They've got Neymar, Coutinho, you know, uh, Casemiro who plays at Real Madrid. Uh, they look ready to go. So it'll be interesting to see if they're ready to kind of wipe out that stain from uh, that. That's tough for them to get over losing at home the way they did in the last World Cup.
0: We talk about uh, some of the star power. I mean, the one big miss, though, no Zlatan.
1: No Zlatan. No, and the Swedish team somehow uh, eliminated Italy anyway. Isn't that incredible? And, of course, there are a lot of big countries, you know, if if you look and think about it, that are missing, Italy, the Netherlands, the U.S., uh, you know, a lot of countries that normally are always there. We've been there every time since 1990, when when uh, Bob Gansler, uh, you know, coached the team back into the World Cup for the first time in 40 years. And of course, we just felt it was automatic. And so uh, there's a lot of uh, you know changes that are being made with U.S. soccer, and and uh, hopefully that will uh, will get the program back the way you know everyone wants it to be and and back in the World Cup the t- uh, the US tied France the other day and of course it's a tune-up but France was playing all its very good players the US had a very young team but th- these young guys are going to be the guys who will be there in the next couple cycles
0: we learned uh this morning about as as we already mentioned the World Cup coming to the United States in 2026 you go back to 94, and, you know, I talked about not being a huge soccer fan but still being drawn to that event and all the characters and everything else that you saw go into it, and, I'm, and there's a large generation out there that, because of it being in the U.S., got into and stayed with soccer in 1994. Where was your fandom at? Was it still – was it already to what it is now, or were you just getting into it then? And do you have any memories in 94 when the World Cup was here?
1: Well, I very much do because uh, I got to cover some of the games. I covered the World Cup opener in Chicago between uh, Bolivia and Germany. I'll never forget that at Soldier Field. And uh, Jürgen Klintzmann was playing for Germany then, right, (laughs) who later became the U.S. coach. And that was a great scene and what a a great – and I think the United States is well poised in '94 to hold an event like that and it's, uh, it's been a long time right now, 2026, before they got it back and getting it with Mexico and Canada, I think will even make it, um, a stronger event. So I do have memories from that, of course, and the U S was really just starting their program. Then they had qualified in 90, in 94, Alexei Lawless and, you know, all those guys were, were, uh, part of the uh, team, and uh, Boromil Tinovich was the coach, and, uh, you know, they built it up, and if you recall, then in 2002, the U.S. reached the quarterfinals in uh, South Korea and just missed uh, either beating Germany, they lost to Germany, you know, and that would have been amazing had they made the semifinals, so they came very close. And then in 2006, I was able to cover the World Cup in Germany, and that was really a thrill, although the U.S. did not make it out of the first round that year, which was a big disappointment. But that was, uh, you know, an incredible thrill to cover the games there. And uh, Tom Timmerman, who's a good friend of mine from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, we shared an apartment and stayed for a month covering, you know, the games. And there's really not an event like that, Justin. I've been to the Olympics. I, I not an Olympic expert by any means, but I covered Olympic sports, but there's just something about the world cup. I, it's hard to describe uh, when it's in your country. Uh, I guess I remember the first night in Germany and uh, Brazil was playing in the opener and, on the streets, you know, stopped. Everybody was in the streets watching the game. <laughs> Everyone in, in Cologne that night. So it's just a, it's 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 an atmosphere that that uh, is hard to duplicate.
0: You have so you have quite a rich history with the World Cup, and you talked about it, it. It's it's not like anything else. And I can't even really think of anything to compare it to. If if you took like the Warriors and said the Warriors are going to play the best team. From every other country, they'll pick their best team, and we do a basketball tournament. But even that doesn't really compare to what we see with this.
1: No, it's, it's all that national pride, and you, know, you have the teams, England, Spain. You know, there's always controversy. Uh, Justin, I think this year the thing to really watch for is they're going to have that video review which they've never used and a lot of leagues still haven't adopted it. it's coming, you know, just as it has in, in sports here. And, but now it's going to be used for the first time at the world cup. So what kind of controversies (laughs) will this, you know, if they take away a goal that, that could mean uh, advancing to the next round, you know, I mean, these things can happen, right? These things happen. So it's, it's going to be very interesting. And already we had some intrigue uh, just today where the Spanish coach, Spain, is one of the favorites uh, for the World Cup Course 1 in 2010. And the Spanish coach was fired like two days before the World Cup starts now uh, because he's taking the job at Real Madrid. And it, apparently none of the Spanish papers really knew about it. Everybody was caught by surprise. And the Spanish Federation president said, "Hey, as much as I hate to do it, you know, you did this in secret. You didn't tell them, tell us." And uh, wow, new coach for Fernando Hierro, who was a, a great national team for sp- player for Spain, now will be the coach. So there's always intrigue like this, something crazy, and uh, those, those things happen. Uh, and of course, there are always the Countries that are kind of the dark horses that make a surprise, you know, at the last World Cup Costa Rica played so well. There's always a team that you don't expect to do well uh, that does well. And then, of course, you have the heavyweights, the Germany, you know, uh, France, you can you can go on. Belgium is kind of a sexy pick for this World Cup. They've had a, a good young team for a long time, and maybe it's their time to shine. We'll we'll see.
0: You uh you almost read my mind there with the with the dark horse teams. Do you have any that you see as potential dark horse for the World Cup this year?
1: Well, one team that I think is really good is Croatia. They uh could be a dark horse, maybe they're not even a dark horse. They have some great players, Ivan Rakitic who plays for Barcelona and uh uh Luka, Lucas Modric who plays for Real Madrid. So, uh they could, they could do very well. They happen to be in the same group with Iceland in the European qualifying, and now they're in the same group with Iceland again. And that's probably the best group, Justin, or the most intriguing group. You have Argentina, uh, Nigeria, uh, Croatia, and who am I forgetting? And Iceland. So Argentina, Iceland, Nigeria, Croatia. That is very interesting. Balance group. Let's see what happens out of there. Argentina certainly favored to go through, of course, but they've they've got three tough opponents there that they have to play.
0: It's so, almost a group uh, of death there. That that's probably
1: the group of death uh, if there if there is one this time. Germany's in the same group with Mexico. That's going to be, and that's the very first match uh, for those two teams, Germany and Mexico. So if Mexico. Uh, has a chance to go through you know maybe they need to get a draw that first game. they need to get something good to happen. and of course, Germany's a defending champion, always uh, such a strong balanced team. so and of course a lot of fans in the states be cheering for Mexico and uh, uh, you know watching all the games for for, for that team and I'm sure uh, Fox is going to really emphasize. Uh, their games with the U.S. not being, they would emphasize them anyway. But now they now they can double up, uh, so to speak, right? They're really going to uh, uh, talk about the, the Mexican team a lot, and we'll see. They, uh, you know, can they get out of the first round and, and uh, advance? They they did very well in the qualifying, uh, of course, um, much better than the U.S. did this time.
0: So I I know the 2018 event isn't even underway yet, but if we look forward to 2026, first, when you saw the list of potential host cities that they released here in America, are you surprised? We we did see some big ones, but are you surprised Chicago wasn't on that list?
1: I was surprised, and I read some things uh, about it. Of course, there are a lot of requirements that the bid cities had to put up. They had to agree to... um, uh, you know, the money outlays, the stadium dates, and uh, for whatever reason, Chicago's always been a mainstay. And as I mentioned to you, uh, they had the World Cup opener in 94 at Soldier Field. Um, Soldier Field still, you know, is older, but still could be a venue uh, for for the World Cup. But it won't be happening because they weren't on the list, at least I, I don't believe that they can get in there now that the U S has, has, uh, won it. The mo- the Midwestern cities were Denver, uh, Cincinnati, Kansas city. There won't be, uh, you know, no Minneapolis, no Chicago. So the closest maybe for Milwaukee fans would be say Denver, Kansas city. And they, I think there are 23 cities. They're going to pick, um, Sixteen, I 16, believe, is yeah. what it is. Yeah, is what it is. So it'll be interesting to see the final arrangement, and also, you, of course, you have cities in Mexico and Canada that will um, also also uh, be included. And I, I think that that's good. Uh, South Korea and Japan shared that two thousand two World Cup, and while there were some concerns, I think it seemed to work out well. And I think uh, you know this. This was good for the U.S. to go in with the two other countries uh, to hold this. And the vote was surprisingly was not close. You know, uh, there was a lot of concern about how would the vote be. Uh, Morocco was the only other country trying for it. And since the next one is in Qatar, uh, it seemed that that would be two almost from this, you know, fairly similar uh geographic location. So it just seemed Morocco didn't have stadiums built. Of course, there's stadiums ready in the U S Canada, Mexico. So it seemed pretty, pretty much like it should happen. And it did.
0: So when, whenever you bring up soccer, it it seems like there's seldom anyone that's in the middle. You either really love it, or there's the segment of people who just don't care for it. And they always, the thing you always hear them go back to is we've heard soccer is going to take over for years now And just not the case. But I think knowing that the World Cup is going to be in America in 2026, you have the Olympics in L.A. two years after that. One of the other things that I think kind of coincides with this, Charles, and and maybe you disagree and I'm wrong, but when we started to see all the talk about safety and football and concussions, we're at about, what, 10 years now from when that came out. By the time we get to the World Cup in 2026 – We're going to be at about 15 or so years since that really started to come to the light. And why I think that's important is you have all these families that had kids that are now in their late teens or early teens. And more and more of them, I don't think, are going to want their kids to play football. So that's opening up an even bigger opportunity for soccer. And if that coincides with these big events being in America's backyard, I think that's the biggest potential for another boom for this sport.
1: Well, I think you're right in that it's almost two generations, right? It'll be two uh, generations yeah. now that we'll be ready to go to those games in, in 2026. I know I'm getting older. I hope I'm around for this, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I'll tell you what, I, and I, and I think, I think that's right, Justin, that people, you know, really love the game. They're going to stay with it. Uh, they They've either played the game or now they're watching it more. And I think, What I always argued back in the day when everybody uh, told me soccer would never catch on in the United States was, I think there was this misperception that, oh, it had to take over. Well, it wasn't going to take over. You know, we have football. We have basketball. We have baseball. Baseball, you know, I love baseball. Just about as every kid that grew up in, in baby boomer. The way I did, uh, you grew up with baseball, and it, so those things aren't going away. And I think the thing is, in Europe and some of the other places, soccer is just the number one sport. They don't have, you know, baseball at that level, or they have, you know, or basketball. They do, you know, basketball is very popular in in Europe, as we all know, and uh, how many uh, European players and international players in the NBA. That's one reason I love the NBA too. I think both basketball and soccer are really international sports, you know, where you have players from all around the world. Which just, you know, you talk about Giannis; it just makes it interesting, right? It just makes it interesting, and 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 of course, Giannis grew up playing some some soccer in Greece. Besides, but I, I think I, I think there was just that misperception. Hey, you know, soccer had to be number one. Well, no, it, it just had to be in there with the other sports. And uh, I think it's showed over time that that it, it it is and that there's there's a lot of interest. And I think one measure of that it will be this time where the U.S. is not even the tournament. Big disappointment, but yet there are still going to be the soccer parties. There's still going to be a lot of uh, uh, watching of the tournament you know, all all through the states, soccer bars and places that that are going to have it. Not to the extent that the U.S. made it, of course, because we saw that four years ago how that really that really took off.
0: No, and, and you know that's a good point, and you don't really hear a lot of people put it like that. In that, it's always extremes that you always heard soccer is going to take over, and like you said, all they need to do is just get to, and and I think at this point they have. Get to the same level as as the NHL and start to get to the other the levels of these other sports, and we're starting to see that building more slowly and slowly. And as you touched on, uh, soccer being the big one in other countries, basically what we're seeing with basketball is what we're in those countries is what we're seeing with soccer in America. It seems like.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good comparison, and and uh, you know you just see that that I come I covered in the days when the best players in the States were playing indoor soccer, you know, because there just weren't those outdoor leagues flourishing, but eventually, and those guys were pioneers, you know, guys uh, such as Victor Nogueira, who who played for the wave, Michael King, those guys, they were pioneers because they were playing indoor soccer, which is not really the same as the outdoor game by any means. But, But it was a way of introducing it to a lot of broader audiences in the country. And eventually, as players got better and more kids were playing the game, then you could see the outdoor game take off and and in the States as well. And so that that has happened. You know, there's still a lot of uh, issues, you know, the pay for play issue. They're trying to get more kids who uh, maybe don't have the Wealth, or their family doesn't have the wealth, but these kids can get on a team. This is really an important thing in America now to see, uh, you know, develop these programs so so uh, some kids that might not have the means can can get involved in the game because you know the, the, that could be the next great forward, <laughs> the next great talent out there, and uh, you you want to nurture all those players to come up and and enjoy the game. And I think more of those, those efforts are uh, happening to my friend, Boris Suchovich, who uh, used to coach the Rampage. He's involved with some of these efforts to nurture the game in the city and then get more kids to be playing. And he's very, uh, you know, he's very devoted to that. And, uh, and there are people like that all around the country that are uh, doing, you know, you can read about doing some of these programs to uh, maybe not have youth players so worried about the scores and the games and all that, but but just developing their talents.
0: Well, I think uh, you basically read my mind again, Charles. And that before we go, I, I not to put you on the spot, but I, I do want to get your take on youth soccer here and, and some of the issues that we've seen because I have a lot of friends that are that are into soccer and that have kids now that are starting to play and maybe they're coaching it, and you hear a lot of complaints about one of the biggest problems with soccer in America in general and building up to MLS and and major leagues and and getting these kids ready professionally, one of the biggest problems is the way that the youth systems are set up. And I've heard a lot of people kind of mention it, a lot of similarities there to AAU, depending on how you feel about that, with basketball that maybe it does a lot to help the kids, but – You can point to just as many things that aren't as good. On the surface, it seems like basketball and soccer are the two most accessible sports for kids to get into because all you need is a ball and a playground or a field. So do you think there is a big problem with youth soccer? And if so, what is it in your eyes?
1: Well, yeah, I just think it's it's giving what we were talking about before, giving more kids the opportunity, you know, not emphasizing so much the pay for play. You're always going to have, have some of that. But, you know, the, certainly we've developed better youth coaches over the years. We have some great coaches around the country. I mean, just fantastic. And, uh, you know, so so that's what people should understand that we we have great coaches and great people involved in the game and uh they they will they will continue that and uh that wasn't the reason the u.s you know didn't qualify (laughs) for 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 the world cup so i think the youth the youth is just game is just to keep you know not be so concerned about results they're always traveling teams in any sport we know that volleyball soccer basketball and you're going to find some some great talented kids there but it's also what you were saying justin making that available to kids that are just want to want to play and uh, you you don't need uh, the equipment you need in hockey or football or maybe some of these other sports so uh, you know let let the kids play and then if if you see the talent, then you know then you can move them on into these. But give every give as many kids a chance as possible before it gets so structured, so organized. Now that's easy to say, right? <laughs> that's easy yes. to say. It's hard. It's harder to do because uh, you know that's that's just the way sometimes things are organized. But but I do think there's going to be a look at some of this uh, in part because of the U S not qualifying. So there's kind of a look at all the, the structure, you know, we have the national teams, the youth national teams at the women's and men's level, and they've done a a lot of great things. Um, you know, we've had a lot of uh, success with some of our youth national teams and it's just now can that translate into, um, you know, the full national team, one, one thing that I think has been a weakness kind of going a little bit above the youth level, but you know, there, there is an Olympic soccer tournament and we have failed to qualify for, I think the last two Olympics. And that is a U 23 tournament basically. And then you get two overage players, but that has really hurt that we uh, didn't play in, in those Olympics, I think, because, uh You know, It's still some of your best competition. It's guys who are coming up and might be on the cusp. And then not having that type of experience uh, for the the men's team, talking about the women's team, of course, plays both in the Olympics and the World Cup. It's kind of a different system. The top senior players play in both tournaments.
0: Well, uh, Charles, it was certainly good to hear from you. I know the listeners are going to feel the same way. Like I said, I I knew about your love for soccer but didn't realize you had so many stories and connections to world cups of the past and the amount of things that you've covered so that was certainly very interesting to hear this was a lot of fun good to catch up with you and maybe we'll, we'll check you. in again at uh, the end of the world cup
1: yeah feel free give me a call and we we can uh, we can talk about how, how the world cup uh, is going or how it went <laughs> <laughs> all right
0: sounds good the great charles gardner joining us here charles thanks for your time
1: Thanks, Justin, appreciate it.